This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today begins our work in Malachi, with Malachi 1, 1 through 14, where God, through the prophet Malachi, challenges Israel's love for God and calls out their inadequate sacrifices. Together, we will be discussing the importance of offering God our best. Hi, everybody. I'm Derek. I'm Brittany. I'm Natasha. And I am Nick. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to continue our journey through the present study, looking at Haggai and Malachi, uh, but moving into Malachi. So leaving behind the book of Haggai, well, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit, but we're going to be moving into Malachi with our conversation today. Um, As a quick reminder, last week, We did finish Haggai as we looked at Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 23, uh, where Haggai offers God's blessing to the the defiled people of Israel and also identifies Rubel as his signet ring. Uh, As a part of that, we discussed how obedience leads to restoration, restoration in society, restoration personally, uh, individually, and, and then, you know, globally. Um, This week, we move into our work in Malachi, looking specifically at chapter 1, verses uh, 1 to 14. Uh, Within this passage, we see God through the prophet Malachi challenging Israel's love for God and calling out their inadequate sacrifices. I believe we have Natasha reading for us. So, uh, Natasha, would you read Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 to 14? Yes. Malachi chapter 1 verse 1 A prophecy the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi I have loved you says the Lord but you ask how have you loved us was not Esau Jacob's brother declares the Lord yet I have loved Jacob but Esau I have hated and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals Edom may say though we have been crushed We will rebuild the ruins, but this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, 
the Lord's table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. All right. Thank you for reading that for us today, Natasha. Um, let's move into our conversation now. What are you guys seeing? What questions do you have? Or, or what do we need to uh, talk about as we move into this passage? So I think one of the first things as we're moving into the book of Malachi is to remember kind of where we've come from. So we've just come out of Haggai and we're, we're skipping over Zechariah. So there's a little bit um, in, in here that we could go back and look at at a later date, but we're not going to focus on that for now. But in the, the, the time that's transpired between the close of Haggai, where Zerubbabel has just been declared by God a signet ring, um, that he, people are speculating about him, maybe this is going to be the Messiah. Maybe he's the one who's going to lead us to, to basically conquering the world and the pr- fulfillment of all of these prophecies. That, to fullness and restoration. Right. And, and so they're, they're excited and they're anticipating this about Zerubbabel, but then... After Haggai, it goes quiet, and we really don't hear much more about Zerubbabel after that point. Mm-hmm. And so here, when we enter Malachi, this is now 90 years later. And of course, Israel is still not living into the fullness of these promises that, that God has made to Abraham. And so they haven't seen this full restoration that they've been waiting for, and in their waiting, again, growing extremely apathetic. Mm-hmm. And and you read about some of the the symptoms of this apathy here in chapter one, and so it's it's through that lens and with that context that we come upon this scene where Malachi, or maybe he's a person, maybe he's just a messenger. So the word Malachi could be used just to say uh, my messenger, mm-hmm. and and so we don't really know necessarily the identity of Malachi. Um, scholars speculate a lot of things. Um, but as Malachi comes to deliver the word of the Lord, um, it's into this, this season of just, I don't know, almost a lost hope where, where they're just, they're just waiting and they're just existing, um, and, and haven't really experienced the fullness of God's promises yet. Yeah. I would add to that kind of contextually speaking, you know, you have, this identification of Zerubbabel as a signet ring and the potential that this is like the beginning of us like kind of stepping into what we're supposed to have. Um, and when I was doing a little bit of research into kind of the, the, the size of Israel at this time, um, it actually said that it was a region that was known as, uh, Ehud or Yehud, Y E H U D. Um, and it actually stretched no further than 30 miles in any direction from the city of Jerusalem. So a pretty small area compared to like what we would typically see if you turn to the back of your what the Bible. promised land. Yeah, was. what the promised land was. Exactly. So, um, you know, 90 years later, 
after this promise that seemed so promising and you're still so small and, and you really haven't walked into the fullness of that promise. And so it's kind of into that scene now that, that Malachi is delivering these words from God. So on, one of the questions I had while, while reading and studying was in looking at the end of verse two, um, it says, was not Esau Jacob's brother declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I think we always learn about God as being this loving being. And so I'm, I guess I, I have a little bit of trouble trying to reconcile these statements. Um, I don't know. Can you add any clarity to that conversation? I mean, I can try. Um, and so when I was also reading about this, because if I'm honest, I, I feel like this is actually uh, a piece of scripture that I've always struggled with in the sense of I've just always had these questions. And I'm like, why on earth would God say I hated somebody, right? And so um, as I was reading about it and and kind of digging into it a little more, um, I actually found uh, one particular commentator talked about how the the Hebrew for um, the words loved and hated that are used here specifically um, can be used to communicate more than just like this relational, uh, like love as we understand it versus hatred as we understand it. Um, and that it, it actually can mean um, something more like chosen or not chosen. Um, and so if we think about that, like Jacob was in fact chosen, identified, like later changed his name to Israel um, to be the, the person who was the beginning of the nation of Israel who was chosen to mediate uh, God's blessing to the world, whereas Esau was not chosen for that purpose. Um, so as we read this, instead of looking at it as like God loves Jacob, but hates Esau, it's like God through Malachi is communicating that like Jacob and then in by extension, all of Israel has been chosen by God to mediate his blessings into the world. Whereas Esau was not chosen. Um, it's also interesting because we know that Esau was the firstborn and Jacob was the secondborn. And so you would typically the birthright, and, and I know that the birthright was um, sold, right, for soup. Um, but typically the birthright, go like the, this blessing should have gone to the firstborn, but God chose to even subvert the um, traditions and norms of the time to choose the younger to mediate this blessing. And so for Israel to ask the question or even like challenge God, when God says, I've loved you and they say, how have you loved us? Like to even ask that question is a huge slap in the face. Well, I feel like it's very small sighted when you, when you put it that way, I mean, they're thinking back, well, in my lifetime, mm. how have you chosen us? What, what blessings do we have on this little, like you said, 30 by 30 mileage geographic area? Right. This isn't the fulfillment of what you promised. This is not what we were expecting. This is not what we've placed like our hope in. It's not sure. what we believed our future to be. And so it's like God has fallen short of their human expectations 
in their lifetime. And so it's like, they have such a small picture of the overall God story. They forget the, the greater story that they're a part of. I even, I mean, now, as you say that, you know, I think about it it, because, because in our, in our um, morning Bible reading, we're in Esther, like Esther is taking place somewhere in here. Uh, I, because they don't know the exact dating of Malachi specifically, like you can't tell for sure. Um, but I, from what I am trying, what I'm piecing together, like Esther more than likely took place before Malachi. And so somewhere in their recent history, even Israel should have realized, like should recognize the hand of God at work in, in his love for them. Cause he protected them. Like there was a, civilization wide edict that they were supposed to be exterminated and then God protected them from that. And so even with like you would, you would expect that within the lifetime of at least some of the people that are existing, they, they have been able to see the deliverance of God. And so it's almost like it's even, it's even more petty than that because they are just so focused on their immediate situation, right? Like they are not living in excess in greatness. And so now we say, well, how have you loved us? Because my life isn't that great right now in this moment. Um, and wow, that's crazy. Well, they're, they're, it feels like to me, like they, they're treating this like Esau treated his birthright. Mm. Like the way their view is like, it, it's of so little significance, like the blessing of God is so insignificant to me that I'm, I'm willing to cast it aside for what I desire, whether it be a bowl of soup or, you know, even when we were in Haggai talking about all the things that they were doing for their yeah. self. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it really feels like, you know, they're willing to say it's so insignificant to me, um, just like Esau was willing to say my birthright is so insignificant that... I'm, I'm hungry and I would rather have food than that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's much different than us today. You know, I, I can get caught up in the things that are going on around me and be like, Oh my gosh, like God, why are you letting this happen to me? Like this is, I'm, this is not surely not what you're, what you want to happen. And you know, all the while, you know, God is doing things far beyond what I can even see. But I'm only focused on my current situation and my current situation is just so bad to me right now. But, you know, I don't look around me and see or remember all that God has brought me through. And I just focus so, so narrowly on what I'm going through that that's all I can see. And I I think that's exactly what Israel is going through. It's like this. um, It's like this really myopic way of looking at life. Like they're so self-centered. They forget that God chose them to participate in what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Not that they are the, the, the star of the show. Like I, I think we've talked about it in the podcast before about this idea of like this story that we're living out is actually God's story. It's not my story. And we do all have a part to play we have, we have a, a piece to participate in, but when we begin to look at it as, you know, my story or what am I getting out of it? Or even like bigger than that, like, 
um, our story as a, as a local church or what we get out of it or bigger than that, and our story as a denomination and what we get out of it or, or like our story as a nation and what we get out of it. Like we, it's so self-centered and self-focused and myopic that it misses. Like if we're only going to look at ourselves, we will always ask the question, well, how have you loved me? Because we will always think that we deserve more. But when we recognize whose story it actually is, that begins the shift. I think this is the importance too of the second question that we ask, um, both, I guess, both on Sundays and then in our small groups throughout the week, um, or rather that Jesus asks us, and that is, do you understand what I have done? Because as we're looking for the good, it helps take our eyes off of this myopic view that we have and begin to search for and hunt for where he is at work. So it, maybe it's not in my life. Maybe, maybe what I see that's good is something he's doing across the world. Mm-hmm. But then I realize I'm a part of a bigger story. Right. And, and I think that that is the reason that that question is really so important. And it's really something we should be asking ourselves probably daily, um, if not more frequently, just to keep a bigger view of the story of whose story we're living in. Yeah. I, um, I recently had a conversation with, uh, somebody in our church and I was sharing with them, um, some frustrations like, uh, uh, God has blessed us as a local body with just loads of ability and talent and different areas and avenues. And like, I see it and I see so much potential, but then there's like this limiting factor called like money, um, and other like simple, like tangible things like that. Um, and I was talking to, to this individual and I I was expressing my frustration, like why, why would God give us all of these pieces, but no way to begin to like put those pieces in motion? Um, and the response to me was, you know, that story that you are trying to write sounds pretty cool, but I bet you his story is better. And so maybe you just need to slow down a little bit and try to see what story he is trying to write more than trying to force your story. And I was like, come on now. But they were right. Like, the way that I was looking at that specific situation was very myopic. I was looking at it in my own way, thinking that I was writing this story. But the truth is like God is writing the story. I'm getting to participate in it. So I need to step back. I need to slow down and I need to see, okay, God, what are you doing versus what am I trying to force? I just keep thinking of, you know, I, I did a lot of acting and theater in, in school and, you know, the, the role of the main character is to be the main character. Mm-hmm. The entire story is about the main character. Right. And when the, the supporting cast go and try to be that main character or try to do something to distract from the main character, it throws it all off. Mm-hmm. And I think when we go in and we try to step in and we try to be that main character or we, you know, try to make it about us and what we want and what we have going on, we completely distract not only ourselves, but others around us to what 
God is doing, what the main character, who actually this is all about. This is all about God. And, and when we try to make it about something else, or even if our focus is still, you know, we want to make it about God, but it, if it's not his story, we're trying to step in and take, you know, at some point we're, we're taking that focus off of what he's trying to do. Um, mm. And I, I think if we just kind of step back and are, we're like, okay, whatever you're going to do, which is way easier said than done. Right. Um, that is, you know, the ultimate goal. That's a great analogy. I, I feel like when we have that mindset and we try to replace the main character, then we start to see symptoms in our life or bad fruit produced. And in this, in this story here that Malachi is addressing, uh, as it pertains to the remnant, you, you begin to now see the unfolding of these lists of symptoms or bad fruit that are addressed. And this first one that we tackle in chapter one is this problem with offering blemished sacrifices. Because if we have a God who hasn't chosen us, who doesn't love us from my perspective, then why would I offer him the best? Mm -hmm. I don't really see him in the same reverent way that he deserves. And so then you see um, the result of that mindset unfolding. Yeah. That, I mean, that's exactly right. Like it, we got to contextually remember that Israel is like in the thick of an honor shame society. Like that's how they operate. And so um, especially as we open up into the section where it says a son honors his father uh, and a slave, his master, uh, if I'm a father, where is the honor due me? And so God is actually like drawing out the reality of this honor shame system and, and even reminding them of who he is. Like I am father, I am God, I am master. Like I, I am this person deserving of honor and praise and, and worship. Um, and yet this is what you're giving me. And, and so giving me that you're actually saying, like you, you are dishonoring me. You, you are saying you are not father and worthy of praise. You are not master and worthy of praise. And so not only are they like elevating themselves by keeping the best for themselves and giving the least in offering, but they are slapping God in the face by giving him the least in their offering um, and just trying to skirt by. No matter where we are, we we've been in Matthew on you know on the podcast here. We've been in in Haggai and now Malachi, and it seems like in every in, in every book that we've been through, the heart is the issue. Mm -hmm. The heart is the issue, and God has used Jesus. He's used Haggai. He's used Malachi in our instance here and in what we've talked about to help people recognize the issue of the heart. And no matter what they bring, it's not going to be enough, like we talked about last week, because they can bring all these things to the altar. And even if they were without blemish, it wouldn't matter, because their heart is what, I mean, at least the way I look at it, I, I feel like their heart is the issue. So it wouldn't matter what they bring. And, you know, if we go to a place of worship and we bring an offering to Jesus, it doesn't matter if our heart's not right. Because 
obedience is more important to him than what we have to give in in an offering or a sacrifice. So I was trying to look at this because obviously we don't offer sacrifices anymore. Um, that is not something we do. So to kind of get this understanding of what I think we do, <laughs> I'm not slaughtering any animals in my yard. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think the school would let us do that there either. So, <laughs> so I was thinking wow. about like what what do we in my life? What is this? What is this thing that I'm sacrificing? What is it that I'm giving to God? And it's a multitude of things. You know, I'm giving my time. I'm giving my effort. I'm giving my money. I'm giving my attention. I'm giving, you know, my free time, my, you know, my music, my reading, everything that I do is something, you know, as that could be an offering to Jesus. And when I think, how can that be defiled or spotted or blind, um, or diseased, I think about like giving, you know, if Jesus is asking me, you know, we, we talk a lot about living vertizontally and listening to what he's saying. And if he's telling me, you know, Brittany, I want you to spend more time with me. But I say, actually, you know what? I think I'm just going to give you more money. Hmm. And not that giving him more money is not, it's not a bad thing, but is it what he asked me to do? Is it the thing that I am being, you know, he is expecting me to give just like Israel. He expected them to give the best, the best animals to be sacrificed. And they were like, eh, we're going to give you these instead. And I feel like when I say, well, no, Jesus, that's not really what I'm going to do. I know that's what you want, but I'm going to give you something else instead that I'm saying, okay, we love you, but not enough to give you what you ask me for, to not be sacrificing exactly what you've, what you require. And like you guys said, it's an absolute slap in the face. Um, and I think we do it all the time. I just feel like it's like a Cain and Abel kind of thing. Like God's asking for one thing and, and we're given something else. And when we don't give what God's fully asking for, then we're mad at somebody who did. Like we're not upset that we didn't do what God asked. We're upset that someone else did what he asked. And so... While we may not carry out the same action in our minds, like I've been guilty of that, like, you know, thinking that maybe it's almost more not thinking, but more of like jealous that it, that it wasn't me. And so I think that, you know, if we're not careful, we fall into that trap of, of trying to be, you know, of, of giving what we think is enough. And then when we find out like confronted with God, that that wasn't, what he was asking for. Yeah. I know in, as I was thinking through this passage and as I hear you guys talking, like Ananias and Sapphira are what come to mind for me. And I even, I even wrote that, um, in my margin, uh, next to verse 14, where it says, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. Like that's exactly what they did. And that's exactly what they were cursed. Like they died on the spot because they had an acceptable offering. And really, I mean, the reality of that story was any offering would have been acceptable if they were just truthful about what the offering was. But because there was deceit that was present with this offering, um, 
curses came on them. And, and that's exactly what Israel is experiencing now. Like they know what is required and they are not giving in accordance with that. They, they are trying to somehow give less. There's also this part in verse eight where it talks about, you know, try offering that to your governor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what does the government ask of us? For everything. Well, I mean. A massive percentage. Exactly. It, <laughs> you know, the government takes a lot of our money. I mean, no way, other way to slice it. We have to pay taxes. And we pay taxes because we're afraid to get in trouble. I mean, and that's the law. <laughs> we're and afraid we, of the curses that come. <laughs> the, we are afraid of that because, you know, we, and it feels like sometimes that we have more faith in the government. Mm, to than follow we, through. Exactly. <laughs> then, then we have in faith that Jesus is going to make things work for us. It is, I guarantee it is a whole lot easier for people to pay those taxes than it is for people to trust God to pay their tithes. Mm. Yeah. As we've been having this conversation from like these, this set of verses, verse six to verse through verse 14, um, this thought that has been on my mind is I feel like we as um, maybe the church today um, have shown contempt for the name of God, just like it, you know, he calls out to the priest and says, it is you priests who show contempt for my name. Um, And I say that and shoulder that responsibility because I think that somewhere along the way we begin to say, offer, offer up to God what you have to offer. And, but that's with the mentality of what you have left to offer. So after you've worked your full, you know, 40 to 80 hour work week, whatever you fit, like whatever you have left, offer that. That's all that God wants of you. Um, when you've taken care of your responsibilities, whatever you have left, offer that to God. That's what God wants of you. And I think we have done that um, in an in a effort to move away from some kind of legalistic understanding of what it means to serve. But there is a difference between legalism and obedience. And Christ has called us to give all. And I, I don't want to slip into trying to spell out what that means, but that means all, right? Like that that's, that's every part of our life. And so that doesn't mean that at the end of my 80-hour work week, the time that I have left, the energy that I have left, I now offer that to God. It's at the beginning of my work week, before I have worked even one hour, even those 80 hours are offered to him. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, this change of understanding. And, and so maybe, you know, as a church leader, I need to repent and say, sorry for how we have tried to massage this hard pill to swallow. And now I'm asking and inviting all of us to begin to explore and, and better understand what this might look like for us to say it starts with our offering to him. And then everything else follows from that rather than everything in life happens. And then the offering is what's remaining. And I feel like this whole conversation then loops back to where we started in this understanding of, of a God who loves, right? When we have an understanding of a God who doesn't love, 
it becomes very easy to slip into just like the Israelites giving like giving the defiled offering, giving the offering out of obligation rather than celebration, giving the the leftovers rather than the the cream of the crop. Because if God doesn't love me, then I need to love me. Like I've got to be the one to watch out for me. So I'm going to make sure I take care of myself. And then with what's left, I will offer him the rest. But if I understand that God loves me, that God loves us, then I no longer have to look out for myself. I no longer have to try to make sure I'm being taken care of because I trust that God is going to take care of me. And so I just serve him. I just, I just submit to him. I surrender to him. I walk in obedience with him and, and I don't just give him 10%. I give him a hundred percent. I mean, what, what relationship, what marriage relationship have you seen that it is thriving when each partner is only giving 10% or each partner is only giving what's left of them. And, and that's, like that that's one of the images that we see of God here in Malachi is that of covenant partner. And so when we recognize that God is a covenant partner with us, he is in this relationship with us like he already has given all of himself to us. Like we just finished Matthew, we know that. He has given all of himself to us. He has emptied himself for us. And and really the only appropriate response is to do the same, to empty ourselves for him. Because that's how covenant relationships work. And, and it's not out of obligation. It's out of love. It's out of deep-seated love. That, that's why he gave himself completely to us was out of love. And so like, what follows is the reciprocation of that, that, that we love him. And as a result of our love, we give all of ourselves to him. And, you know, in verse 10, it talks about Oh, that one of you would shut the temple door so that you would not light the useless fires on my altar. It makes me think that if we are not giving it all, then what's the point? If Mm -hmm. we are not giving that perfect sacrifice, if we are not giving God what he's asking for, then what is the point? Well, even if you give the sacrifice, if if you haven't surrendered like this, this, the sacrifice is, is useless. Mm-hmm. And so you like for them, they, they're stuck in that mentality of, of this like legalistic living. And, you know, as you've already pointed out, um, you know, we have to get beyond legalism. It's, it's a relationship like God desires for us to be in relationship with him. And he is continually making a way and trying to like convince his chosen people that he desires to be in relationship with them. And that if they fully commit to this relationship, that everything else will be taken care of. And they're just in this funky place where they just can't seem to like shake it. It's like, like some like some kind of like disease or sickness that just keeps coming back and you can't get over it and you can't get over it and you can't get over it. 
And that seems to be like what they're facing. And we're no different now. Like we still face the same things where we still like, it's so hard to shake something and so hard to shake something because we're trying to rely on ourself to shake it. When all God is asking is that we fully commit to him and he, he will take care of the rest. And so, you know, that's, that's where I find myself in this. Like I have to recognize that I have to diminish every day. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I'm going to be no different than the Israelites that I read about throughout, throughout the Old Testament for sure. And these, these cycles that they have. And so Jesus just helped me to recognize every day. And I mean, we, we say this often in our group that we have to die more every day. Um, and, and we have to live moment by moment, listening for Jesus throughout our life in, in everything that we do. And it seems that they came to a place where they didn't want to listen. They wanted to rely on their own understanding. And when you rely on your own understanding, whatever you bring to the altar is not going to be good enough. I think in verse 12, the line where it says, or I guess it's verse 13, sorry. Verse 13 says, and you say, what a burden in response to this entertaining the offerings unto the Lord. And as I, I don't know, that verse just stuck out to me. And I think about all the times that we have a tendency to be complainers I know the Israelites had a huge problem with this and it's indicated like throughout, I mean, since the time they left Egypt, right? They were complaining in Egypt. They were complaining when they left Egypt. They're complaining in the desert, right? They're complaining when they get given the promised land verbally. So there's just constant complaining. And I, as I I read that, that line, what a burden, I feel like it's very, very easy as we have this myopic view that we've talked about Mm -hmm. as we, we miss the bigger picture of what's going on we slip into this mentality of what a burden. And so while some of us may struggle with giving God our whole, I think there's probably another whole segment of us, of the church, who really does try to give our whole. Like that is our heart's desire. That's what we're doing. But as we're doing, we're kind of living, as as Derek has pointed out a couple of times, with this heart of hmm. what a burden. And so I just, I guess maybe for me, maybe Jesus, this is something you're speaking to me and that I need to, I need to, to check myself on this and I need to, I need to be joyful as I give to you, as I sacrifice for you, as I give a hundred percent of me for you. And I, I can't slip into this this spirit of what a burden. Um, and so Jesus, I'm sorry for the times that I've done that. And I, I guess I'm believing you to help me to find the joy in every moment as I serve, as I give my life to you. Um, and I trust you to be my strength and to be the patience and the endurance and all these things that I need, um, as I devote myself to you and do so cheerfully. And so just as God has said to the Israelites through Malachi, 
that he has loved them. As we just talked about five weeks ago or so, Christ, through his actions on the cross, demonstrated his obedience to his Father, but also his love for us. He has said, I love you. And now the question that we maybe have facing us today is, what is our response? What's our response to his love for us? Do we love him back? And in so loving him, how? What does that look like for you this week? To love him back. To walk in obedience to this life of sacrifice that he has called us to. As you journey with us, we recommend purchasing Midweek Meditations, a journey through Haggai and Malachi, which is available for purchase on Amazon. Also, be sure to follow the Living Vertizontal podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.